The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We gather in the spirit of one who did sing, Unite the pair so long disjoined, Knowledge and vital piety, Learning and holiness combined, Truth and love for all to see. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lenten Sunday are offered for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We begin our service of worship with heart and mind lifted to the grace of God. By God's grace, we receive affirmation, inclusion, acceptance, pardon, forgiveness, health, salvation, love. A new covenant. As the choir guides us, may we bow in silent confession. Let us pray. have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. But for the grace of God, we would not be, and but for the grace of God, we could not love. But for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. A lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to the one who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 51 with the Antiphon. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Clean me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me a willing spirit. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Glory to you, O Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord.
Please be seated. If anyone serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, that my servant shall be also. One sense of calling develops over a lifetime. Vocation can emerge apart from religious distinctions, often outside inherited personal or spiritual boundaries. In that way, as Thomas Merton reminds us, Vocation is the essential and quintessential ecumenical gift or charism or grace. This Lent reminds us of courage, of gratitude, of spirit, of gladness, the nourishment you will need to survive the next decade. To begin, though, this season of March, not Marsh Madness, recalls that in 1987, our Rotary Club in Syracuse, New York, which doubled as a cheering section for the college basketball squad, was in misery. By just a single point, a last-second basket, Syracuse had lost the NCAA championship to Indiana, a day that will live in infamy. We began the next Monday's Rotary meeting, as usual, with a prayer memorably offered that day by Jack Schultz. We know, Lord, that we learn most from our troubles and from our defeats. Accept this, and we'll try to hold fast to your presence, even in the face of, and now here is where the turn of the prayer began to go sideways, to happens in sermons as well. He continued, in the face of unfairness, in the face of bad officiating, in the face of the unspeakable behavior of a chair-throwing coach of the opposite team, whom I will not mention, Lord, in prayer by name. In short, we bow before you and accept what has happened. We don't always have to win, but we do demand justice. Oh, and uh, amen. A couple of springs later, in 1989, the Reverend Billy Graham spoke at that same club, its 50th anniversary following a Graham revival in the Carrier Dome. I offered the prayer that day, and he said, and I should have noted this in my journal to save this memory for preaching at Marsh Chapel, March of 2018. I quote him exactly. That was a fine prayer, Reverend Hill. He was about three or four inches taller than I, quiet, gracious, and a kindly presence. And he sure know what, knew what he was talking about regarding prayer, did he not? Of course, in that club, we had a well-established tradition of pious and heartfelt prayer already. As Judge Schultz's prayer did attest, we do demand justice. My sister, then the vice president and corporation counsel at Oneida Silver, gave him a beautiful silver tea tray, which unfortunately was overshadowed by the wife of the owner of Stickley Furniture, who gave him a sofa later on, <laughs> said he. These will both go nicely in our home, he graciously responded. The congregation was of two minds about whether to support the Graham Crusade. I still see the hurt in the eyes of those who felt deeply and strongly that doing so validated Graham's support of the war in Vietnam his support of Richard Nixon, his particular form of Calvinism, his conservatism, his audio-taped anti-Semitic remarks, for which he did later apologize, and his Unitarianism of the second person of the Trinity. A few left that vibrant, growing church when we decided to support the cause. 
Anyway, we chose to participate. As a theological liberal and a Methodist, to me, Graham's theology made little sense, but right down the street, right across from the parsonage on a cold winter night, 80,000 people would be singing hymns, some of our favorites, in the garden, just as I am, great is thy faithfulness, how great thou art. Catholics, Orthodox, Protestant, and Free Church people would work together to bring a little revival, a little salt to the salt city of Syracuse. There would be a call to decision to lead a Christian life. Some would, re would respond visibly and some not, some invisibly and some not, and some would regret the one and some the other and some not. And there would be a 500-voice choir I comment not at all on the actual notes sung. It was right in our neighborhood, walking distance. And you know what? It was great. It was great fun. I would sooner work with that organization than with most of the denominational boards and agencies I have known. The Graham people were honest and kind. They said a thousand times, go to church on Sunday. Plus, as much as I love basketball, a carrier dome full of simple hymns sung from the heart by 80,000 and a 500-voice choir, it made me really smile all that spring. So when the Boston Globe called last month to ask for a Billy Graham memory, I told them that, and I told them this. In 1989, the Graham Committee promised city pastors that the names of those people who came forward in the crusade would be given for follow-up and follow-through to the churches in the city, neighborhood by neighborhood. I'm not sure I fully trusted this, but a week later, a big box of names came to the church office. They were not from the campus and faculty side of our neighborhood in the main. They were not from the student and bohemian side of our neighborhood in the main. They were not from the corporate and civic leadership side of our neighborhood in the main. They were from down the hill in the projects, the 1960s urban housing that we had tried for five years in vain to engage. And now we had name after name and an expected standing invitation and a way to visit on the sixth floor and an entree for Meals on Wheels and an invitation list for Vacation Bible School and a way to set up midnight basketball to get to know some new friends some of whom joined, in, joined with us for worship because on that cold winter night in the full carrier dome they heard the word, go to church on Sunday. And then I couldn't help add, about Graham's son, I make no comment. The end. That is, we listen and learn with a Roman Catholic monk named Thomas Merton during Lent 2018. Why? Because you can learn a great deal from other traditions. Love your ecumenical neighbor as yourself. There are many ways of keeping faith. Love your religious neighbor as yourself. You may learn something in, with, and under the teaching of a neighboring denomination or pastor or congregation. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If you want a friend, be one. If you want ecumenicity, live it. You may be ready just now for the soteriology next door, especially students 
and young adults. As this morning's New York Times, how's that for timing, in an article on a Trappist monastery did put it, young adults may well be drawn to their culture of mindfulness, stillness, and inward experience. Here is the way, in brief, Thomas Merton spoke of vocation. He wrote, Saints are sanctified by leading ordinary lives in a completely supernatural manner. Souls are like athletes that need opponents worthy of them. The quiet and hiddenness and placidity of the truly good people in the world all proclaim the glory of God. The only way to live was to live in a world that was charged with the presence and the reality of God. That happiness makes Upper New York State seem in my memory to be so utterly beautiful. And that is virtue without which there can be no happiness. The intellect is only theoretically independent of desire and appetite in ordinary actual practice. For what was the difference between one place and another, one habit and another, if your life belonged to God and if you placed yourself completely in his hands. Thomas Merton this month, Thomas Merton this month and this Lent has given us courage for the wilderness, gratitude for the sacrament, spirit for contemplation, and today at the last, a gladness in vocation. That same courage, gratitude, spirit, and gladness which you shall need to endure and prevail in the next decade. We knew very well in decades in rural, agricultural, small-town, country living, the people and voices and communion of which we cherish by heart in memory. Some of our graduates this May, graduates from the School of Theology, will themselves go and live for a while in such communities, maybe even out in the deep woods, as did Thoreau. These fine seminarians with us this morning, soon to finish their three three years of study and about to be assigned to a pulpit on July 1, take with them our heartfelt love and encouragement and our reminder that all vocational searching and all astute theological reflection is not, not confined to urban schools of theology. You remember last Sunday, we left our friend, last week at the end of the sermon, riding her horse away from church in August of 1982. Well, later that autumn, she left a letter in the hand of the minister, acutely and rightly critical of the Methodism she was then learning. She was a premier woodcarver making light, beautiful wood crosses for all families who suffered a loss. Her spiritual, vocational, and theological reflection, way up north, out in the woods, compares her love of wood carving with her difficulty with religion. She corrects here a mistaken, though well-intentioned, overemphasis in Methodism. All the celebration in my own tradition, which I do love, celebration of experience of God's presence, if not tended properly, 
drowns out the genuine and regular experience of God's absence. Doubt and faith are twin daughters of the divine. Listen to this wood-carving Native American laywoman and astute theologian in her own right from 1982 comparing wood-carving and her struggles with religion. And as I was thus discovering why I liked working with wood, I thought why I do not like working with religion. I would gladly give it up if it were not for this bothersome and rather uncontrollable compulsion to try just a little longer, just one more time, just one more approach. I have found with most things, given the proper tools, that I can, with dogged patience and perseverance, attain, attain a state near enough to perfection to be at least satisfying. But religion, religion, worst of all, because I cannot determine where to lay the blame, I make no progress. Worst of all, because I do not know if I am striving for something that is unattainable for me, because of basic lack or insufficiency or incompleteness? Or is my technique wrong, my approach, my tools, my plans, my information? As I work on a piece of wood, progress is made. I can see it, I can feel it taking shape. And if I must begin again, I do, because I know in the end that piece of wood will become what I want it to become. I will be satisfied even with the nick of shame it will surely carry, it will be good and good enough. But religion, unattainable faith, unfathomable understanding, untouchable God, even if he knocks, I feel, I have come to wonder if it is that my door has not been furnished with the normal and necessary attachment, a doorknob. For if I try really try, it should get better, but it doesn't. If I begin again, determination will see it take shape, but it doesn't. I read just last week something in that small book, Understanding the United Methodist Church, which I found really disheartening. It said in reference to the witness of the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit's witness in the heart of the believer is and does give him a first-hand assurance that he is a child of God. And again, United Methodists rejoice in the knowledge that God does certify unmistakably to each believer when his salvation is sure. Not hope or think, but know. That is the perfection of and I am not satisfied with less, nor am I able to make any progress toward that goal. Nor can I throw it all away like a chunk of wood, for it worries me like a dog worries a bare and useless bone, unwilling to spit it out and let it go. Perhaps there is yet some marrow in it worth digging out. I would, had I the choice, stick with the wood. I would, had I the choice, stick with the wood. Beloved, 
All of our traditions, including the perfectionism of Methodism, have some things that need, as this wise carpenter saw, to be sanded away. Paul Tillich had her answer. Doubt is a part of faith, and faith with no doubt is no faith at all but false faith. I hope we were able to preach or teach or say that so many years ago. Seminarians will take their first pulpits July 1 of this year. Maybe they think that real, true, hard theological work, interpretative work, will not be needed or required in those small, rural, poor, less formally educated, agricultural, multiple appointments. Maybe they think for all that they will need a urban pulpit or a college community or a smooth suburban landscape or an advanced degree. Maybe they think there is no real ammunition in the verbal and spiritual rifles of first appointments or second appointments or poor churches that cannot pay their apportionments. Maybe they think it won't matter whether they have read their Tillich or not, whether they have read their Ecclesiastes or not, whether they have read their Galatians or not, whether they have read their Merton or not. Ah, but it will, it will, big league, it will. In the rough and tumble of pastoral life, the sturdiest vocation will be tested, and it should be. Beloved, this is a sermon with a question for you. What is the color of your parachute? the shape of your sail, the grain of your wood, the you that is not what another says of you, but the self at your own most self. What is your vocation, your calling, your life as it is most fully able to become? A little Lenten reflection alongside a bright young Roman Catholic fellow who had to climb up a seven-story mountain to find his answer may be a bit of help to each and all of us. Sursum corda, hear the gospel. If anyone serve me, he must follow me. And And where I am, there my servant shall be also. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
God of all people. You created us in your image, enabled us to know you through your covenant, and sent your Son to redeem our sins. May we embody your generosity and forgiveness in our daily lives and strive to build your kingdom on earth. Although we have been scattered throughout the world as many nations, we ask that you help us to see ourselves in our neighbor and to see you as we love one another. Help us to remember that being strong does not require the hardening of hearts and that the most powerful acts are done with compassion. We pray for all those facing illness of the body, mind, or spirit. May they be comforted. We pray for those facing uncertainty, loneliness, or loss. In the coming warmth of spring, may they feel the warmth of your divine love. At this time of changing seasons, may we appreciate the splendor of your creation. Help us to fulfill our roles as stewards by respecting our earthly home and all those we share it with. Grant us the courage to face change with open minds and hearts. We place our trust in you. Lord, you have blessed us with your mercy. Lead us to become beacons of divine light in our communities as we await the coming of peace. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Welcome again to Marsh Chapel. We're so delighted to be in worship and fellowship with you this morning. Whether you're sitting here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue or joining us via the radio or the podcast, no matter where you are or where you're from, you are most welcome here. It's a bustling season here at Marsh Chapel. Maybe there is a little marsh in our March madness. Um, So we have quite a few announcements this morning, so please do bear with me. First, we would love to be able to greet you personally after worship and to give you the chance to greet your neighbor personally as well. If you sign in on the red booklets found at the center of the aisle or email us at chapel at bu.edu to let us know you're here, that's one way we can learn your name and that you can learn one another's names. 
Um, next up, I wanted to run through the opportunities um, for worship during Holy Week. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday and kicks off Holy Week for us. There's a lot of worship opportunities here at Marsh. The Maundy Thursday service is at 6 p.m. here in the nave. The Good Friday service is from 12 to 3 p.m. again here in the nave. The Easter Vigil service is on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. in Robinson Chapel downstairs. On Easter Sunday, we have opportunities at 7 a.m. for the sunrise service. That's the college version of actual sunrise service. Um, we have the same um, service up here in uh, the nave at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you want to avoid the crowds, we encourage you to come to one of the earlier services. We'll have breakfast as well from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And Easter egg hunts for families and children following the sunrise service. That's so after the 7 a.m. service and after the end of the 11 a.m. service. So we'll have Easter, um, Easter egg hunt and some book giveaways as well. Um, the today, this afternoon at 2.30 p.m. here in the nave, the Marsh Chapel Choir Concert, they'll be doing Bach St. John Passion. We invite you to return after some lunch and to come hear that here in the chapel. Um, on Wednesday, April 4th at 6 p.m., there'll be a service of remembrance for Martin Luther King Jr. with special guest preacher Cornell Williams Brooks. The service will also feature the chapel choir, sermon choir, and inner strength gospel choir. On Sunday, April 8th at 11 a.m., will be a service after 50 years, the King Legacy in Word and Song. We'll have as our special guest preacher, Deval Patrick. That service will be followed by a guided walk to and through the Howard Gottlieb archives at BU. So we'll have persons representing various leaders from 1968. Um, we'll meet and speak to you on our way to the Gottlieb. We're still looking for a few volunteers to be various leaders from 1968. So please speak with Dean Hill or me after the service if you would like to volunteer. And also I believe I have a few announcements from Heidi, but I don't see her, so I'll do my best. With the, oh, she's here. Oh, Heidi, great. There you are. She's right behind me. Just snuck up on her. Uh, thank you, Jen. Good morning. My name is Heidi Freimanis-Kortz. I'm the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel. I have two Easter Sunday-related announcements this morning. First, Easter Lily dedication forms can be found in your bulletin today. To have your dedication printed in the April 1st Easter program, we must receive your dedication by Monday, um, March 26th. That's next Monday. Uh, extra dedication forms are available in the main office. Second, after the service today, I will be in the narthex to encourage everyone to sign up for Easter breakfast, to help with Easter breakfast. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with our Marsh Chapel Easter tradition, we host a large Easter breakfast from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. We're looking for volunteers to bring specific food items or uh, to volunteer to help serve and clean uh, during the, the morning. Um, again, you can find me in the narthex after the service to volunteer in whatever way you are able. Thank you. And one last uh, announcement. We're grateful for um, Dr. Ruben Valenzuela for his guest conducting this morning. So thank you. And now as the ushers uh, wait upon us for our tithes and our offerings, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
our light and salvation. We praise you for your tremendous wisdom and love. We are grateful that you bring healing and hope for us as individuals and as a faith community. Give us grace to extend your kindness beyond our family and congregation to strangers in need. We dedicate ourselves and our offerings to you. Let your will be done by your spirit at work in us as part of the Church of Jesus Christ, your Son. We ask this in his name. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. <laughs> 